So it was a uh, few weeks ago. By the way, there's some girls bringing around some dollar bills, y'all. Go ahead and take those. Even if you already got one, all right, you need another one. All right. So it was a few weeks ago, and we were preparing for this series that we would be going through as we go through the Bible expository, all right? And we were thinking about stewardship, and I had been thinking about the messages that we were going to be preaching here at Matthias Lot, and I had come home, and we had gotten our kids to bed, and I was with my wife, and it was after dinner, and we were kind of winding down, and so I was getting ready to get in the shower, and I was there talking to her, and I was like telling her all these, you know, ideas that I had about different things that we could be doing, different ways that we could communicate stewardship to our church, and my wife looks at me with this very serious face, and my wife is not a serious woman, if you get to know her very well on a personal level, and um, she said something to me that was profound, and something that like I have been wrestling with for the last few weeks, and I cannot get it out of my mind for the life of me. She just looked at me, and she said, Jason, our generation is horrible at stewardship. We're horrible. That's a pretty harsh thing to say, you know? And so I really took that to heart, and I began to think about that. She just wasn't talking about my generation or, you know, whatever. She was talking about, like, our generation, most of the people that are represented here today. And so as I began to think about that and wrestle with that, I decided that I would do a little bit of footwork on that statement, and I would try to figure out if what she was saying is true. And what I found out is that the generation between the years of 1977 to 1997, if you were born anywhere in that time frame, let's just have some fun by a show of hands. If you were born from 1977 to 1997, just raise your hand. Todd, put your head down, bro. Oh, okay, okay, you are. <laughs> okay. That, that generation, 1977 to 1997, will have more wealth than any generation that has ever gone on before us. Get this, we'll have more money to spend than any other generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. Now that's not to say that more generations won't come later that'll have more than us, but thus far we've got more. Alright, that's something to, to kind of be excited about. That's something that's, that's kind of cool. But here's what's not so cool. The other statistic that goes along with that is our generation, 1977 to 1997, is in more debt than any generation that has ever gone on before us. So you get in the picture of horrible stewardship. That means while we have more than anybody that's ever lived, we spend more foolishly than anybody that has ever lived. Wow. And so tonight... If you are like struggling with, is this relevant that we continue to talk about stewardship and money? A couple of reasons. First, because of what I just shared with you, absolutely, yes, it's relevant. And also, the Bible talks about stewardship tonight, and so that's, again, why we're going to be diving into this very hard topic of what it means to deal wisely and deal shrewdly with the money that we've been blessed with. Now, as those dollars came around tonight, what we want these dollars to be a representation of 
is the generations that are living right now that are represented in this room, they're not all the same, but we've all got a lot of wealth. And so as you've received the dollars that are in your hand so far, the ones that you came through the door and the ones that were just passed out and some that you'll receive later, each one of those dollars is to be an example of the money that we are accumulating as we walk through this life. We're all going to accumulate a lot of money by the time that we're dead. Hopefully, unless Jesus comes back tomorrow or unless something terrible happens, you're going to work and you're going to accumulate money. And so the money that you're receiving is a representation of that money that you're going to be receiving through life. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get started. Father, we love you, God. And um, tonight I pray that you would open up our hearts in a way that only you can. And God, I pray that our generation... Um, Father, the the people that are represented even in this room today, God, that are outside of my generation, I pray for all of us that You would bring us to our knees and that You would help us to understand the importance of spending our money for Your glory and not for our own. We love You, God, and we know that if You don't speak tonight that we will hear nothing. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that You would illuminate Your Word, that You would convict our hearts that you would lead us to respond, and God, that you would receive the glory from this worship service. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we were in Luke chapter 16, and we learned about a master who had a whole lot of cash. He had a whole lot of duckies. He had a lot of property. He had so much so that he was able to hire on a manager whose responsibility was to be his steward and to take care of all of the resources that he had. And in his role as steward, the number one thing that he would have to keep in mind is that he had to manage all that money with his master's interest in mind, always in goal. Now what he ends up doing is he ends up wasting those resources. He begins to pretend somehow that those resources belong to him and so that he can do whatever he wants to do with them. And so his master comes to him and says, you need to give me an account of your books because you're fired. Because what you're doing with my resources is not keeping my interest in mind. And so that steward comes and he says, what am I going to do? I don't want to dig. That would be the absolute worst thing to do, to to dig all day. And I definitely don't want to beg because I've got too much pride for that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out to my master's debtors and I'm going to cut their bills in half so that I'm going to have a place to stay at the moment that I am completely done managing these resources. And that's exactly what he does. And so when his master finds out about what he's done, our like first thought is going to be that he's going to drop the hammer on him. He's going to call the police. He's going to stone the guy. But what he does is he says, that was shrewd. That was a shrewd thing that you've done. And he commends him. What he isn't doing is commending his dishonesty, but what he is doing is commending his shrewdness because what he has done is he has taken insecure wealth and he has invested it in his future, securing a future. And so what we learn from this is that we can take from the world and we can look at their shrewdness and we can say, in a like way, Christians need to be shrewd. We don't need to be dishonest, amen? But we need to be shrewd taking the resources that God has given us because we are all managers of God's money. We have no resources in and of ourselves. We own nothing. We're all stewards of God's property. And so we need to take God's 
property and we need to invest it in His interest, which is taking our money, as Jesus says, and it's making friends for the Gospel. What He's saying is that we need to be taking our money and we need to be paying for the Gospel. So the more shrewd that we become at the grocery store and at the gas station, we will be able to open up more funds to make friends for the Gospel and to love on people with our money. And so the big thing that we learned last week is that we need to give God the glory for our money and recognize that it's from Him and we need to use the resources that He's given us in His interest in spreading the Gospel. Now there's two other teachings that come along from that first teaching after that parable. And so we're going to dive into those. If you have your words, I want you to open up with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And we're going to be starting in verse 10. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. All right. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, if you're like me, the first time that you read this text... And I think for the majority of our world, as we read this piece of Scripture, the automatic thing that goes through our mind is, that's awesome. Let's look back there in verse 10. So if I can be trusted with a little bit, then God's going to give me a whole lot. And if I'm dishonest with a little bit, then I'll be dishonest with much. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the resources that God has given me and I'm going to be really good with them because then God's going to give me a whole bunch more cash. And that's, I like cash. We all like cash, right? So we want to be good with the little that we have so God can give us more cash. We take this text and we completely turn it around, screw it up, and we make it about us. Now, if you don't think that there's a whole bunch of churches that are in our world today that are taking verses like this and they're believing that that's what this text is saying, I want to show something to you. I went down to a park today. I go down, down by the river every time that, that I'm going to preach or any time that I want to study and there's a beautiful place that I go where I sit on this rock and I look over the riverfront and I just get to dive into the Word. So I went there today and I'm coming back coming back to the office, and I'm driving through Old Town St. Charles. I'm only like two blocks away, back from our office, and I'm thinking about this very thing, and I pass by this church. Check out what was on the marquee. When you give into God, God will give out to you. Are you serious? Like, as I read that, this is how I read it. Well, if you give into God, then man, He is going to hook you up. It's, it's almost like it's manipulative. Now, I don't want to judge the heart. Um, we did not put this church's name or any of those things. Please don't go looking around for the sign, okay? May, you're like, you know, uncle maybe the pastor, all right? So please don't do that. But seriously, like when I read that, to me what it is saying is that, you know what, if I do like a little bit for God, then he's going to do a whole bunch for me today. And friends, that is nothing more than prosperity gospel saying it's all about me in the end. And so I'm going to do a little bit and I'm going to get hooked up. And in this passage, if you 
divorce the spiritual from the physical, then that is, actually, that is absolutely where you would get. And that is why we cannot do that. And I'm gonna, I want to share with you what exactly I mean by that. In our lot family, like breakfast is the best day. Does anybody else have breakfast as the best day in their lot family? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that we should just make a rule that like lot families have to have breakfast at least once a month. It should be in our covenant somewhere or something with a lot family leaders, you know? But let me ask you a question. Is there any of you sicko weird people in this room that like you cannot have your food touching each other on its just be honest and raise your hand if you're if you're that way. If like you cannot have your food touching each other on your plate. Here's the deal. I go through the line on Sunday and I had run that morning and so I was super hungry and it's breakfast and so I always give myself a little bit of room. I'm not condoning gluttony, all right? At least I'm not trying not to. And so I'm going through the line and like I see the big fat fruit salad right there. So I get me a big old scoop of that fruit salad. It's like already mounding over my plate. And then I see this big tray of hash browns. And so I hook up a huge scoop of these hash browns. And then like the ladies in our group, they are amazing. Like I'm not trying to manipulate anybody coming to my lot family. But if you want some good food, Zelmer Lot Family is the hookup. All right? So I get to the egg casserole. And we've got three different egg and sausage and cheese and bacon ooey goodness casseroles are sitting right here and I don't want to let any of the ladies down you know by not being able to compliment them right on on the taste testing of their casseroles and so obviously I have to get all three and so by this time like I've just got this mess of food on my plate I mean it is just everywhere and if you're like me like I know a couple of you are for sure you like gravy right like breakfast isn't done without gravy so I go and I find the big old vat of gravy and like I just hook up this scoop I'm pouring it all over my food. Like it's even going on my fruit salad. I don't care because everything's good with gravy. And so I've just got like this huge pile of stuff. And I go and I sit down at the table that's in the middle of our living room. And there's a couple of girls that are sitting there that look at my plate and like they almost like literally threw up when they saw it. They're like how in the world can you let all of your food be touching like that? And to me, like, it wasn't even a thought, you know? I mean, this is, this is good. You know, it's better that way. It's all going to get mixed up in the end. That's my philosophy. And so I was cool with it. And, you know, when they said that, it began to make me think about a certain way that we so often live our lives. We have become, as a culture, very, very good at separating what we perceive as physical in this world, material, with what is spiritual. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. Let's start first with our families. And what I've done is I've taken a plate and I have tried to break this down for you so that it's easy to understand. We have our church family. And so with our church family, we come here and we, we raise our hands and worship. And we come and we meet God. And we celebrate Him and who He is. And we go into our lot families. And we read the Word. We all open up and we pray together. And sometimes there's people that come in and they're struggling with sin. And so we're able to call them out, reminding them of God's love and God's sovereignty in their life. That's our church family. And it's a good family. Amen? But then... We have our personal 
family. And we kind of quadrant off the spiritual to church family. And we have our personal family. And so Sunday gets over or Wednesday gets over and it is quite possible to go throughout the week students getting in multiple arguments with your parents where you're screaming at them and you're angry with them and you can't understand the way that they treat you and you're anything but obedient to them. And if your church family like saw just a brief moment of that, you know that it would change their whole world and their whole idea about you. And husbands, it's completely possible for you to quadrant off the church family and you go in with your personal family and you've got your wife and not one time throughout the week do you lead her in prayer. It's like you just leave prayer with church family, you know? And you'll come back to it later on in the week. And it's completely possible for us as parents not to speak one word about Jesus or about God's love to our children. We'll just save that for Sunday. Are you guys getting it? Are you seeing the way that we break apart our life so that the different areas don't check, don't touch? Check out the next one. We do this with our time. Here's just a day. We wake up in the morning. Let's just say you wake up, I don't know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. That's usually when I wake up. And I have my Word time. And so I spend 20 minutes diving into the Word. I open up my Bible and I pray and I think about God. I mean, on the days that I do that, I'll, be, I'll just be honest and confess, I don't do that every day. I long to do that and I'm not there yet, but I'm working towards it. And so then we shut our Bibles, we go and we have our breakfast Then we go to work. And so we're driving down the road and we're going to work and we're going to school. And as we drive down the road, we pass that person that's on the side of the road with their flat. The other day, I passed by a woman and children who have a flat. We keep going because we've got some place, we've got a meeting that we've got to get to. We get to work, we get to school, and the whole time, not a single word comes up about that time that we spent in the Word that morning. Not once do we tell people that are lost and that are hurting that they need to have a relationship with Christ. Not once do we tell the person that's in our science class that we know is discouraged that we can encourage them. It's like we just leave it all at home at quiet time, you know? And so we keep going. We get to to a place where, you know what, we, we go to work out. We go to the health club. And we're there exercising convincing ourselves that if we get in good shape, then other people are going to like us more. And so as we work out, like we're looking in all the mirrors that are around the club, and like we're flexing, you know, and we're, we're looking at our guns, you know, we're like showing our calf muscle. And the whole time, what's in our mind is, don't I look good? Instead of, God, man, I hope that you're getting the glory for me, striving to worship you by making my body a temple. It's not about God. It's about us. Then we go on and we have dinner and then we have our time with TV or homework or whatever we're doing. And not at any point in this time have we just taken the time to reflect on the goodness of God. To do what Mark shared in in several months ago when he talked about just driving around and looking for the glory of God in the trees or in the grass. We left all that back at quiet time. You know what I'm saying? Because we had our spiritual time. And if you have your spiritual time in our Christian culture, then you can go throughout the rest of the day and say, I'm good. I got that done in the morning. And not at any point are you saying, 
God, how can I worship you all day? How can this lifestyle not end at any moment? We're really good at hoping that our meatloaf doesn't touch our peas and our mashed potatoes in the same way that we don't want work to touch our quiet time. In fact, if there's a lot of people at work that knew we had a quiet time, like, it wouldn't be good. Here's the way that we're talking about this tonight with our money. It is very, very possible now, as you see this, to believe that somehow what we call tithe, what we would traditionally say is our 10%, is what's spiritual, and all the rest is what's physical. And so as long as you give God that 10%, then everything else, man, that's gravy. That's yours. In fact, if you give God that 10%, that somehow He is going to give you more money so that you can have a bigger house and so that you can have a better car. And nowhere in Scripture do we see that being the Gospel. And we take that money and we say, I'm a good Christian because I've given this. And the whole time, like we have talked about before, there is something very, very important that we're missing. Two things. The first is this. We talked about this last week. All of this plate belongs to God. All of it. And so there is no distinction between phone and mortgage and food. Maybe on your budget there is, but the reality is it's all His. You can't subdivide it that way and say some of it is to be used spiritually and the rest is to be used physically. When you're at the grocery store and you have the opportunity to use the coupon, are you thinking in that moment, if I could save $2 with this coupon, I could go and I could bless a woman who needs to buy diapers for her children. If you believe that all of your money was spiritual... I think it's quite possible that every purchase that you would make, you would have God's glory in view. But instead, we break it all apart. And we try to segregate it a little bit. All money is God's all the time. I'm going to say this a million times. You are stewards. I'm a steward. And God is the Master. We have nothing except the opportunity to use our money for His best interest always. It's all His. Here's the second thing that comes from this. We cannot divorce the spiritual from the physical because Jesus will not divorce the physical material from the spiritual. Check this out, what's happening in this verse. And I hope that this has helped you to understand this. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little will also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. As we first read that, we're thinking about if I'm trusted with a little bit of cash, then God's going to give me some more cash to be able to invest and to be able to use. And I'm not saying that God won't. But it's a good possibility that God will give you a little bit of cash and then He's going to take it all away. And what will you have then? Like Job who had cash, and God took it all away. And all he could say was, God, to you be the glory. Check this out. After that statement, after Jesus says that, he continues to go and he says this, if you have been trusted with, if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? 
And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, we need to connect all these words together and we need to realize here in a beautiful teaching moment that Jesus is not saying, if I give you a little bit and you're good with it, I'll give you a lot. He's saying something completely different. This is a two-part parallel. And if you put this up on the screen... The trusted with very little, dishonest with little, worldly wealth, someone else's property, that is what God has given us in the world to manage as His stewards. The trusted with much, dishonest with much, true riches and property of your own is eternal wealth that He is speaking of. He's talking about true riches that moths will not destroy and that a robber can't come in and steal. He's talking about property of your own because someone else's property is God's property. Do you see the connection from last week? Someone else's property is the property that God has entrusted you with and the property of your own is the kingdom inheritance that you have through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so believers, if you have a life that has been changed by Jesus and that has been led by the Spirit as you make God your Master only through the blood of Jesus, then it will transform your life. You will bear fruit and you will learn how to be trusted with the money that God has given you. You will manage worldly wealth well. And if you do that, again, by the blood of Jesus, not a works-based deal, you will be trusted with much. You'll be trusted with the kingdom. You will have true riches. True riches are only what God can provide. There's no true riches on this earth. It's all His. And you'll have property of your own, which God promises to all who know Him. You'll have a kingdom inheritance for all eternity. And so today, are you being trustworthy with God's riches that He has provided us on this earth realizing that it will be for His glory as you receive an internal inheritance. So let's keep going. Verse 13, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In Jesus' time, in Jesus' culture, it was very possible that there would be slaves who would try to serve two masters. All right? So they would work some for one and they could work, work some for the other. But what would happen is that they would become devoted to one and then they would work less for the other. They would love one and they would hate the other. And so Jesus brings us to light in a beautiful world picture and He says, you cannot serve two masters. You have to choose one. And when you begin to serve one, when you make one your master, then that is truly the place that you need to be. Now, it's hard to, to sometimes understand this in the context of slaves because, praise God, we do not live in a culture that celebrate, celebrates slavery. However, there's a whole bunch of other ways that we can break this down. In the Gospel of Thomas, which is another early Christian writing, he says it this way. He says, you cannot ride two horses at the same time and you cannot pull back two bows 
at the same time. Have you ever tried to like consider maybe going on a bike ride where you would ride two bikes at once? Would that be very easy? What about like driving two cars at the same time? Or what about trying to walk two directions at once? When you begin to think about these things, there are a lot of things in life that you just can't do at the same time. As wonderful as my wife is about cooking dinner and like giving a spanking and talking on the cell phone with her mom all at the same time as like watching TV, like you just, there are some people, as good as you are, mothers at multitasking, there is no way that you can walk in two directions at one time. It's impossible. Now, when I was thinking about the Gospel of Thomas and I was thinking about his other statement, this idea of pulling two bows back at once, I realized that not all of you have the benefit of being like an urban redneck like me. Okay? And so I wanted to try to show you what this might look like. And so I decided to bring a bow to church. And I realized that this is probably the first and the last time that I'll ever bring a bow to church. But it's cool, so I had to kind of take the opportunity. Now, this is a release for those of you that have never seen this before. And this is what's going to help me to be able to pull my bow back. Now, I know that some of you are nervous right now, but I want to give you some credentials that I have. First of all, I have no arrow, okay? That's good. If I had an arrow, it would be time to fire me, right? And then I call the newspaper. The other thing is I'm from Wentzville, okay? And so automatically I have credentials that allow me to pull back this bow, okay? So I would clip on my release to the bow, and I have to use my force. Now, is, as cool as new technology is to have all these like, cool cams and like, make it really easy to pull back your bow and shoot an arrow really fast, as cool as it is, I still have to use my might to be able to pull back this bow. Now, there is absolutely no way that I could do this at the exact same time, the exact same way, with another bow. But as I exert my energy and I'm able to pull back this bow, as I serve this bow with my energy, I am able to make an arrow my servant. And so in this moment, as you'll just go along with the analogy, the bow has become my master in some ways because I am serving it with my energy. But through serving this bow, what happens is that the arrow becomes the servant. Do you guys see that? And so in the same way, when you make God your master truly, what happens is is that if God is your master and God has all of your attention and you are living your life fully and completely to glorify God and to worship Him, then money becomes your servant. You get that? And if money is your servant, then all of a sudden you have realized that it's all God's in that you can use money as you glorify God to serve people and to invest in the kingdom. If I was being honest, I would venture to say that there's many people that are trying to pursue the next best job. 
and they're trying to pursue the next best investment because the reality is they have put money in their focus. And as you have put money in your focus, money has become your master and then God has become your servant. Because in your prayers and in your lifestyle, you have tried to exploit God to be able to give you more of what you want, which is money. In this prosperity gospel that we sometimes talk about, I truly believe that they have made God their money and God or money their God, and through that they are exploiting God so that they can get more money. You can only serve one master. It is absolutely impossible to serve two. First Timothy chapter six, verse ten. Check this out. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. When you begin to make money your master, it will lead you into evil, and you will wander away from the faith. You cannot walk two directions at once. So let's check out this last piece here in verse 14. The Pharisees, who loved money, here come the Pharisees into the story, heard all of this and they were sneering at Jesus. And He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in the sight of God. Now back, if you remember back in Luke chapter 15, Verse 2, we saw the Pharisees listening to a, a teaching of Jesus and they began to mutter. Mutter's a kind of a weird word. Well, now we have another word that we're seeing the Pharisees are doing. As Jesus has been going along here teaching His disciples, the Pharisees have been listening in and they are starting to sneer. Now, to sneer is to make like a laugh or a weird smile. It's, con it's like contorting your face with scorn or contempt. And so imagine now the Pharisees, as Jesus has been giving these hard teachings, they are laughing at Jesus. Laughing at the teachings that He's bringing. And Jesus says this, knowing their heart, He says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. Going back to a message that we had talked about before, God not only sees what we bring in our hands, but God sees what we have in our hearts. And the Pharisees were those that were trying to justify themselves by bringing these buckets of money into the temple and saying, everybody look at me! Look at all the money that I can give! Everybody check out my wealth and the way that I'm worshiping God with my money. And we're reminded that it's not about how many resources you have. Just like the story that we shared last week about Ron. It's not about how much you can give. It's about how you manage the money that God's given you. Some of you will go all through your life and you'll hope to make more money, but you may make minimum wage. And that's no different. God is going to look the same upon that as upon the person that was rich. And He's going to ask the same question. How did you glorify me as a manager with the resources that I've blessed you with? Today, there are some of us that are pursuing a life 
that Jesus calls an abomination before God. If we look at um, this text and what Jesus says here at the end, there in verse 15, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Now, if you look at this um, in the ESV, I think that the word that is used there is an abomination. What men love when they make money their master That is an abomination before God because what they're doing is they are pretending that they are master and that they have the freedom to use God's resources however they please. There's another passage that talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19. Check out this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. If you have lived a lifestyle that is making money your master, it is called folly. It is considered folly. Now, wherever you're sitting at right now, in your seats, you have an envelope. I want you guys to open up that envelope. And I just want you to take out the money that you see there. Here in a moment, we're going to go into a time of response. And as we think through this teaching that Jesus has given us, the money that we have is to be used shrewdly so that we can take it and we can make friends for the Gospel. Look at that dollar and think about that. The money that we have to be used for making friends for the Gospel. Also, think about this. The money that we have We are called to be trustworthy because the physical and the spiritual are not divorced. The way that we use money, per what Jesus says and what Luke is telling us, the way that we use money in this world will have an influence on the riches and on the kingdom inheritance that we have in eternity. You can't divorce the two. Right now, take your hands and underneath your seats there is another dollar that's taped underneath your seat. You guys are just pulling out money everywhere. Now remember, we're going to receive money all of our lives. Right? This money that you're pulling out is a representation of this money that you are journeying through receiving all the time. Right now, each of you should have like $4 in your hand. Some of you probably have like 8 or 9 because you've been pulling off money from other chairs. You're like pulling it out from the back and you're shoving it in your pockets. The money that we have, we are called to recognize God is master and money as servant. Never money as master and God as servant. And when we view money that way, we can use it for God's glory. Now taking all the money that you have and thinking about this, We're going to go into a time of response here. And when we go into that time, there's going to be several questions that we're going to have on the screen for you to reflect on and for you to be able to think through and consider where you are with money right now. And here's the deal. As a church, as Matthias Lot, we believe wholeheartedly that God is calling us as a community to spend our money 
shrewdly as we live our lives so that we can take money and we can use it for God's glory. Helping the widows that are in our community that need help with home repairs. Giving money to a partnership that we've created with the El Shaddai Ranch. Helping them in reaching the gospel, reaching people with the gospel in our community. Taking that money and having massive community events so that we can make friends for the gospel. But the reality is if we're not trustworthy with our money and if we make money our master, we as a church will fail at the mission that God has given us to use money for kingdom purposes. And so in a moment, we're going to go into a time where we're going to be able to give that money in different ways to some of these ministries that we have. But right now, think about this. What gives us the opportunity to be able to live this lifestyle is only by the blood of Christ. You see, if I stood up here right now and I tried to teach you all the ways that you should be spending your resources And ultimately, we didn't focus on the reality that the reason and the opportunity that we have to use money for God's glory is because Jesus Christ paid the debt for us on the cross by taking His flesh and it being broken for the sins of the world. And after that, recognizing that His blood was spilled so that sinners like you and I who will fail in the ministry that we have of money, taking that blood and making it an atoning sacrifice for our sin so that we could know Him. Today, I am not trying to convince you if you don't have a relationship with Jesus to begin giving your money to the church. What I am saying is that believers that recognize that their debt has been paid by the blood of Jesus and by the breaking of His body have an opportunity to use their money to glorify God because of His saving grace in their lives. It's not a burden to glorify God with your money generation. It's a blessing. And it's an opportunity that we have been given to worship May Matthias Lot take that opportunity and not miss it. And so after you come and reflect on Jesus' blood and on His body that has been broken for you, you can go and at each one of these tables that we have set up, we have a table that's for Laos and we have an, a table that represents the El Shaddai Ranch and an outward community table where we have community events represented in Second Saturdays with all of those dollars that you have been given in an active response after you have recognized that it's by Jesus' blood that we are even gathered here You can take those dollars and what we want to invite you to do, whether you want to put all of them at one table or whether you want to go down the line and you want to put a dollar at every single table, we want to open up an opportunity for you to realize, generation, that God has called us as followers of Jesus to use our money for the kingdom. 
And as we see each of these ministries represented by our church, may we realize that God has called our church to be a part of that mission. And so when we're at the grocery store, and when we're at the gas station, when we use our money wisely, God is freeing up our resources not to give a 10% tithe, but to give joyfully as Jesus tells us to do. And for many of us, that may mean that we need to start giving above and beyond 10%. Because God has blessed us and we have the opportunity to do so. So I ask you tonight to think about where you're at with money after these two weeks and respond to Jesus appropriately. First recognizing that it's only by His blood that you're even having this opportunity. But here's the other part of this. Tonight, if you're here and you do not know this Jesus that we've been speaking of and you have no relationship with Him, with all the dollars that you have received tonight as a gift from Matthias Lot, we just encourage you to take those dollars and to keep them. Because here's the reality, and I just want to be very honest with you. In the same way that you will go and you will maybe spend those $4 at the gas station or spend them as you go and as you get a cup of coffee at Starbucks, could you remember in spending those dollars that the money that we have blessed you with tonight is a representation that all of the money that you have and all of the family that you have and all of the friends that you have are God's. And may you know that Christ loves you, that He has died for sinners, and that He is calling those to know Him and to worship Him. And if He has spoken to you tonight, or if He speaks to you in the moment that you hand away that dollar realizing that it's Him, may you know Jesus and start a relationship with this big God that we speak of. Whenever you're ready to respond, church, and come and take communion, you can do that. Let's pray. God, we love You. And Father, I thank You for tonight. God, I thank You for opening up this conversation of stewardship and money in our church. God, and I pray that our generation, our culture, would be people that give You the praise and give You the worship through our finances. God, I pray that our church would stay on mission as we spend money for Your glory and for Your praise only by the blood of Jesus. In His wonderful name we pray. Amen.